Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello out there. My name is Sam Maxwell, and welcome to the Bedford and Sullivan podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the research process of the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series I am developing. Today, I am very, very happy to welcome somebody who uh, is just gone on and on about the Brooklyn Dodgers, probably knows as much about the Brooklyn Dodgers as anybody out there. East Flatbush native, Alan Newmark. How are you doing, Alan? Good morning, uh, Sam. It's a pleasure to uh, be with you this morning. Thank you very, very much for joining. And and, uh, Alan and I know each other uh, through a summer camp all the way up uh, on a farm way up in Earlton called Tranquility Camp. His children went there, and he now does stuff with the alumni, the uh, Tranquility, uh, Friends of Tranquility, as it is now called. And in the tradition of Tranquility and the community it fosters, Alan has come on to help me with this research process. We we call it Noblesse Oblige. Uh, it's something that uh, our old lady Pearl uh, always said, if you are noble, you are obliged to be noble. And that is what Alan is doing for me right now. But, Alan, I know you and I could get into a, a, a rant about tranquility camp, and most people won't know what we're talking about. So <laughs> let's head let's head down the throughway, through the Bronx and Queens, all the way on the Brooklyn-Queens Expressway, all the way to Brooklyn. And uh, tell me about your Brooklyn roots. Well, I was uh, born in Brooklyn. Uh, I was born at the, it was called the Bethel Hospital. It's, I think it's called the Brook something or other today. Um and uh, I always, uh, we lived in uh, East Flatbush. Uh, for one year, we did live upstate New York. And uh, for a short time, we lived in uh, Minnesota, believe it or not. <laughs> and uh, it was too cold for my mother. And uh, we we came back and we went right back to East Flatbush. And uh, that's, that's where uh, I was brought up. Now, what brought you to Minneapolis? Or, or not Minneapolis, oh, my Minnesota? My father's business, my father was a uh, vice president of a milk company, and uh, this was during the Second World War, and uh, he made the deals with the with the farmers. You know, people think the milk comes right, you know, locally. It, it does sometimes, but sometimes it has to come from uh, other places. And apparently he uh, would sign the uh, farmers to a deal. And uh, so we lived in a hotel, actually, in Minnesota for... I don't know, seven months or so. We lived upstate for one year, and uh, that's where a lot of the farms are were. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's a place uh, not too far from uh, from Binghamton. Okay, actually, so off off that, which is uh, interesting because two of, because two of my children went to Binghamton. Yeah. Well, it all comes back around. That's you know, life is is odd like that, but it all comes back around. Right. Uh, it, in terms of just a briefly tangent, what I've noticed, uh, I, I do see New Jersey on a lot of the milk that uh, that comes uh, that, that we buy from the delis these days. But um, you know, it it, it certainly uh, is, isn't as local as it used to be. But it's um, it, it's interesting. It's it's certainly interesting to bring that up. I hadn't even thought about that uh, that whole you know, Minnesota yeah, aspect. I, 
Sam, did you know that people used to not go to the grocery to get milk? It actually was delivered to the home. I do. I do know that. In bottles, in glass bottles, which is so much more, so much healthier than uh, in cartons. Mm-hmm. Or in plastic. Well, uh, tell me about some time uh, in terms of um, that, that the olden days. Tell me about some of your uh, your memories of living in East Flatbush and, and well, moving to the Brooklyn Dodgers. I was always a, uh, and still am, I was very always interested in, 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 in subways and, and trolleys and in buses, and I was always interested in that thing. And, of course, I was mostly interested in baseball. Uh, my thoughts, even in school, were always on uh, baseball, and I would always, you know, be anxious to get home to, to listen, listen to a ball game or to see it on television. Most of the games were played in my, when I was young, during the day, I think the Dodgers schedule used to have 22-day uh, night games the entire year. You never played a night game on Saturday or Sunday, uh, for sure. And uh, so most of the games were day games. And uh, I used to run home. And uh, I, when when I was uh, you know in elementary school, I lived like three blocks from the uh, from the school, and I would go home and listen to. To Red Barber, Connie Desmond. I even had the pleasure of hearing the first broadcast by uh, Vince Scully. Red Barber introduced Vince Scully. Barber had been uh, the Dodger announcer at that point for about 11 years. He came out of Cincinnati, where he was the announcer for a few years in Cincinnati. And he uh, introduced uh, Vince Scully by saying, this is the old redhead, and I want to bring in the young redhead. And he did that in 1950. And, of course, uh, Vinny's still been there. He's still there. Going to do it again next year, I think, for the last time. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it was, and I wanted to be that. I I said, you know, I knew I couldn't be a ball player. I wasn't that good. And uh, although, although it broke my heart to, to, to admit that, um, I was a better softball player. I couldn't I've hit a baseball. I've been I couldn't hit a, I couldn't hit a, a, a baseball, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, uh, generally, generally speaking, I mean, talking about tranquility, that's uh, that that's where we hone our our softball skills. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's true. I know they do that. But I we used to play in the schoolyard. We had a short right field wall, and uh, I was a right-handed batter. But I knew I could hit to all fields, and I knew how to hit that wall. And I would. I'm telling you, I bat about 800. I batted about 800. <laughs> I used to hit second. And, uh, no, wait. You're a lefty or a righty? But I was able to go to, you know, I, 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 I was like the young David Wright. Not mm. quite as good looking. But anyway, uh, I would travel to Epps Field. Uh, you know, I didn't go, we didn't go very often when I was young. Uh, I would take a trolley, uh, mm-hmm. the Church Avenue trolley, which incidentally was the last trolley to run in Brooklyn. Brooklyn was full of trolleys. That's how the Dodgers got their name, the Trolley Dodgers. Prior to that, they were called the, the Robins and the uh, Super Bass, and they had all kinds of names. They were called the Robins because of the manager, Wilbur Robinson, who managed from 1914 to 1934. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, I would take the, uh, the trolley car, the Church Avenue trolley car, to a, a, to a bus, and get off at Empire Boulevard, walk over two blocks, and there it was. You know, it was like I, I can't, I can't even, I can't even explain how exciting it was. You'd walk in, 
you go through the rotunda, which is which they tried to imitate at uh, City Field, but it's nothing, nothing, believe me, like the real rotunda was at Epic's Field. And you walked in, and you could smell the grass. Now, you got to understand that I was brought up. We lived in a, a very nice apartment building. And they, most of the people I knew either lived in uh, apartment buildings or we did have a lot of private homes. So you might have and, mentioned this. I, I'm looking at the map right now of Brooklyn and East Flatbush. You might have said this, but I just want to get the corner. Uh, where is your apartment building again? Uh, East 54th and uh, Clarkson. It's now all Caribbean, and it's still very nice. It's as nice as it was uh, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Okay. All right. So, and you would take the you would take the uh, Church Avenue trolley over to Bedford Avenue. No, it would take it over. I think to Rogers Avenue. You'd get the, ah. a, a bus on Rogers Avenue, and it would take you to Empire Boulevard and walk over. I think it was two blocks, and you'd get to uh, Epic's Field, or somebody would drive us, some some father or mother, and just drop us off. Yeah, now you were you were basically right there. Did you ever walk the? Uh, did you ever sometimes walk over over to that direction? It was kind of a long walk. I was kind of a lazy guy. <laughs> I don't remember walking. Maybe, maybe, but I I doubt it. I don't, mm-hmm. I can't remember that. Uh, I think my first g- game was like in uh, 1950. So, uh, but I remember. I'm telling you, when you walked in, you you looked at the grass. It was so. I mean, how, how much grass did I see? I mean, was, people had these little private homes, had little patches of grass, but you didn't smell the grass. And you and when you walked in the ballpark, you smelled the frankfurters. I mean, mm. I think they were like 15 cents or something like that. And I mean, they didn't have sushi. And uh, <laughs> which is, you know. I mean, you came to the game, you had a Frankfurter and a, and a soda. It probably cost you a quarter. Uh, the seats, the bleacher seats were 75 cents, and the uh, general admission tickets were a dollar and a quarter. I still have some of the receipts from those times. Speaking uh, of, uh, uh, speaking of uh, a little bit of you were saying about sushi and modern baseball, when you mentioned Vince Scully, I just wanted to get this point out. I, I think that uh, Vince Scully... Um, is the best in the business, and the the ones that are are just under him are are the the three Gary Keith and Ron in terms of the oh, television yeah. broadcast. Uh, I don't I don't think anybody else compares to to those two at the top. Oh, no, you're absolutely right, and you got to include Howie Rose in there. So, of um, course. Uh, I've been to uh, 34 major league ballparks. Some of them are not like Ebbets Field; they're gone. And uh, we have some more to do. This year we went to Atlanta. And uh, I want to tell you something. Nothing, nothing. My wife, who's younger than I am, uh, was brought up in the Bronx and had never, she'd obviously never experienced uh, Ebbets Field. And we went to Chicago a few years ago and uh, to Wrigley Field. And she was, she loves that. That's her favorite ballpark. Mm. And uh, I would try to explain to her, it's nothing like Ebbets Field. I'm sure it is, but, you know, in my mind, it's nothing like Ebbets Field. <laughs> right. Of course. They're going to fix it up, and they're going to do something. They shouldn't do anything. The ballpark is perfect the way it is. If you see the original uh, um, the original Ebbets Field before they added, in 1931, they added the, the left field out, uh, uh, stands. The, right. The, um, it used right. to be a lot, the, the outfield used to be a lot bigger, and just because of it, all of these old parks had to be confined to a city block, which is one of the reasons why I thought the dimensions for City Field were so atrocious, 
because they were trying to get quirky. But the reason why all these all these uh, places were quirky was because they were building in a city block, not because they were building in a parking lot. So I, I thought, and uh, you know, the new the, the new dimensions are are much much more realistic and and the way they should be. Well, Abbott's Field had down the right field line was 297 feet, and the wall was 40 feet high. And uh, I think after 20 feet, the, it became a screen. And if you hit it off the screen, you probably got a double out of it. And uh, Duke Snyder, who was one of my favorite players, uh, said that if he had played at Yankee Stadium, he probably would have had at least another 100 home runs because he was able to to really you had to lift the ball to get it over 40, uh, 40 feet high. When you're talking Bedford Avenue home runs, though, yeah. that, that's what people talk about the Duke. That's right. And across the street, there was the uh, DeSoto-Plymouth uh, dealer. There's no more DeSoto-Plymouth, and there's no dealer there anymore either. But... No, it's the CVS and the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Is that right? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I, I lived on the Eastern Parkway and Rogers Avenue for about two or three years. And uh, occasionally I'd I'd uh, have a day off and I'd walk over there in the middle of the day. Um, for one thing, it was very surreal to, and I've told this story on air, so a lot of people might have heard it, but you haven't. I I've um, I, I would stand in the middle. There's a playground right in the middle, uh, underneath the actual building, uh, um, and it's it's just a, a weird feeling knowing that there used to be a ballpark there. And at Kentucky Fried Chicken, I remember saying something to one of the people there about how it, it's too bad that the uh, at least the facade of Ebbets Field isn't still there, and they didn't even know that there used to be a ballpark there. I know. It, it, that's one of the reasons I don't like to go back there, but every time I'm on the Harlem River Drive going to New Jersey over the uh, Washington Bridge, and we pass the polo grounds, I always mm-hmm. point out to my, I always did, and now they don't ride with us anymore because they're big, my children, I say, you know, there used to be a ballpark here, and that's one of my favorite songs that Frank Sinatra sings, because it's so true, there used to be a ballpark here, and uh, although I only was in the polo grounds uh, maybe four times, and only for the Mets, I certainly wouldn't go for the Giants, <laughs> I mean, I was a Brooklyn guy, I mean, everybody I knew, uh, except, uh, we were Dodger fans, except for my friend's father, who was the nicest guy in the world when I think back on it, but I kind of hesitated liking him because he was a Giants fan, <laughs> but he was really a nice man, I mean, he was, and he was always nice to me, especially, but he was, was a Giants fan, how could you be a Giants when you, you hear a lot of stories about, you know, initially uh, people not getting along, but it, it the, the human uh, uh, spirit always kind of just makes up for, for uh, allegiances and, and rivals. Um, there's a great Doris Kearns Goodwin story about her and her and a, um, a bakery, I believe. Um, and when uh, they they were egging her on all 1951 as the Giants were coming close, and then you know she'd be always walking by there. She'd get a hot dog or, or something from them. I, they they were I, they might have been a um, uh, you know meat a, a meat packing place, but uh, and then obviously Bobby Thompson the home run happened and she stopped going there. And uh, they sent, like, uh, a big uh, meat platter or, or something along those lines to her house and said, come back, redhead, we love you. Uh, some some sort of nickname. I haven't read the book in a while, but it, it, it's a really sweet story uh, that you just hear. Uh, it's, like I said, it's the human spirit. Even though we're very, very passionate about our sport, we, we understand, or at least a good amount of us do, we understand that there's more to it, even though that brings a lot of, of great, human characteristics out. 
No, it's very true. Uh, it, 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 it's 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 amazing. I mean, I can't even describe to you what it was like to have. I mean, it meant to Brooklyn so much. The Dodgers were like it was another religion. It was almost like another religion in the years that I lived. Those were the great years of the Dodgers. You know, from forty-seven to fifty-seven. Uh, what a time to be in New York! Because what a time to be. There was only one year where a New York team didn't get to the World Series. That was nineteen forty-eight. It's unbelievable to even fathom what it could have been like. And just to before we get to some specifics about players. Uh, do you remember any time that you would go over to the ballpark on game day Would you would take the trip to the game, not to go in, but just to kind of linger around? No, people didn't do that in those days, as far as I knew, because I was, I was young. But, uh, no, if you went to the ballpark, you went to the game. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was, it was one of those things. But uh, so, so the kids uh, outside on Bedford Avenue waiting for the Duke Snyder home runs, they were generally yeah. neighborhood kids. They were neighborhood kids. You know, we lived up on Garmory Street. It was around that area there, I believe. Um, uh, you know, no, I didn't. I wasn't one of those. Uh, I never got a ball. I never got a ball. <laughs> Did get a ball in uh, Shea Stadium, but not. Uh, you know, not. Uh, I was so interested in the players and the announcers, and I really wanted to be an announcer. I mean, I had a better voice in those days. I was—I used to practice. I used to sit at a window in my. I lived on the third floor. And speaking and of which, you were up. telling me—you were telling me your memories about uh, Tex Richards, the PA guy. Oh, a PA guy! I'll tell you a story about the PA. You would walk. Yeah, the 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 uh, the um, the Dodgers had a PA announcer who would sit at the end of the dugout, outside the dugout. He wore a white sweater, even in the summertime, and it said Dodgers uh, were sewed in the front of it. It was just the way their logo was, you know, the Dodgers in script. And he had this voice that was uh, batting in number one position, and he had a New York, a Brooklyn accent. And he would say, instead of saying Cincinnati, I, uh, he used to say Cincinnati. Batting a number one position for Cincinnati, and he would do it only once through the lineup. He, uh, if they had a pitching change, he would announce the pitching change. That's it. And one day, now I wasn't there, but I read this, and I remember it was a kid. Um, people would put their clothing, you know, like their jackets, on the railings out on the outfield. And uh, one day he made an announcement. This is a true thing, and he said. Will the people down the left field line please remove their clothing? And that's and he stopped. And that was, you know, yeah, yeah. typical Brooklyn, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's unbelievable story. I tell you another interesting thing about him. His name was Tex Rickard. Obviously, he was probably had a different first name. The man running Madison Square Garden was named Tex Rickard. And he brought hockey. There was hockey played there one year in 1925. A New York American, somebody brought them, and they they drew so well that Rickard said, "I got to bring a hockey team here," and he did. And when they went, they needed a nickname. They said they were Texas's Rangers, and that's yeah. how the New York Rangers became the New York Rangers. <laughs> but he wasn't yeah, well, related. They weren't related at all. Right. Yeah, it, it, it is interesting the, the uh, stories about how how these uh, these teams get their nicknames. Uh, in terms oh. of in terms of Brooklyn and and what you remember about other sports, what what 
what, what, what role did other sports play in not only your life in Brooklyn, but other kids' life uh, just generally in the, in the time? Well, it was a different time where baseball was definitely number one. Uh, when I was in high school, I used to go with a GL card to some Ranger games. You know, you would uh, sit for uh, 50 cents or a dollar, and you could sit on the uh, side arena. In the old Madison Square Garden, the one on 50th Street and 8th Avenue, you couldn't see if you sat too far back. You had to be like in the first row or on the end. The end was more money. So you had to get there early to see the uh, to see the whole uh, ice. The basketball is a little better, but the, nobody came to see basketball. Basketball was not popular. The Knicks never sold out the old Madison Square Garden. Uh, they got big crowds late in the 60s, right before it closed and the new one opened. But uh, it was always the Rangers. Who were, the Rangers always drew very well. The games didn't start, though, until about 8.30. But... It was never you never worried about getting on a subway and going home, or uh, you, you know what I'm saying. Uh, even the baseball game started later. I think uh, uh, the night game started at eight thirty, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly, and then they moved it to eight o'clock. Yeah, I think the first game actually was somewhere around the nine o'clock uh, time, where where they probably uh, they they put the lights on. There, if I had it right in front of me, I'd tell you the exact time because it has that, but it's somewhere in the 8 o'clock range. But they didn't, right. Johnny yeah. Vandermeer didn't start pitching his no hitter until around 9 o'clock. Yeah, but, then, and, and then again, those games went a lot quicker. Well, you know why they went quicker? Because you watch a game today, the batter steps out, he fixes his gloves, he comes back in, he's not happy, he goes out again. He, uh, that wouldn't have happened. Those days. First of all, they didn't wear gloves. Second of all, if pitcher, if a hitter did that, the pitcher would throw right at his head, and he'd never yeah. do that again. Uh, a Derek Jeter could not get, could not stand as close to the plate as he does, and he, and you couldn't wear all that equipment, like armored equipment. Uh, he'd be, uh, he'd be on his backside more than he'd be standing up because they didn't put up with that. Remember about Barry Bonds, right right before he uh, he retired, he was wearing that elbow pad, and he he would just constantly get hit there because, right. I mean, everybody was yeah. pitching around him anyway. And West Ham gets hit like that. Also, Jeter, he sits, stands right over the plate. A lot of them do. I mean, you can't – he couldn't do that then. They'd get brushed back. They used to call it brush back pitch. But you were asking about other sports. So we would go to Nick Ames, yes, the Knicks were never uh, very good in, 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 when I was in high school, and uh, and I was always a big Knicks fan. But when I got older, right now I'm a season ticket holder for the New York Rangers for the last thirty some odd years. Mm-hmm. I loved I love hockey, and I love baseball, of course. But uh, yeah, we we uh, football was not very popular. It became very popular in that famous game between the Colts and the Giants in 1958. And it wasn't televised in New York, but I was I was uh, had the pr- privilege uh, for the first time I went to Florida and actually saw the game in Florida, and yeah. that's how that turned the National Football League and it became uh, a very popular sport because people learned they can bet on it. Any sport you can bet on becomes very popular. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that is for sure. So you don't you don't remember seeing any? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I'd have to have the timeline in front of me of the Brooklyn Football Dodgers, but you didn't see any Brooklyn Football no, Dodgers. No, 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 no. It was. I don't think they were. Um, um, well, I'll tell you. 
tell you a more interesting thing about it. You mentioned that about the Brooklyn Football Dodgers. Uh, I didn't even know that existed in full. <laughs> but anyway, I couldn't become a Giants fan because I associated right. the Giant football team with the New York Giants. And interestingly enough, I became a Browns fan. And they won every year, the Cleveland Browns. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had a great quarterback by the name of Otto Graham. And uh, he would pass to Dante, uh, Dante, I think, or whatever his name was, their receiver. It was, it was, uh, I, I was, I was the only neighbor, the only person in my neighborhood that was a Cleveland Brown fan. But today, of course, I'm a Giants fan. But I don't root against the uh, Jets. I was rooting for them last night. Unfortunately, you know, mm. what can I tell you? Yeah, I, I was uh, going by a bar just in time to see the uh, the the only touchdown drive of the Jets. So that that was lovely. Unfortunately, they couldn't come back. But uh, you know, they're not they're not uh, well. This is obviously a tangent, but they're not. Um, they're not going to probably be that good this year, but you know it hasn't been uh, devastating yet. I believe as, as some people think it, it's going it, to be. It, it will be because they're the Jets, <laughs> and they and they haven't won since that miracle year when the Knicks and the Rangers, not the Rangers, but the Knicks and the Mets won. Yeah, so they haven't. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and the the Rangers came close that year too. The Mets. Mets, Knicks, and Jets fan had it uh, had it pretty yeah. solid in 1970, uh, 1969 to nineteen seventy, and then uh, yeah, you know I, one uh, championship later, basically. That's when I <laughs> or was two two team. championships later. Sorry, then we have seventy two, seventy three Nets. But that's what I. Uh, w- that's when I was a, a big fan mm-hmm. of, of, of all uh, of them, and, and, and I was a Joe to, Willie Namath fan because. He really mm-hmm. turned me into football. By the way, Joe was out here yesterday golfing with the with the you know he had a golf outing at, at Beth Page. Mm. Uh, my my youngest daughter works at Beth Page, and a lot of a lot of old uh, football. She said a lot of old football players and all basketball players, but she called John Starks old. So I, you know, <laughs> she's only twenty one. So maybe that's uh, right. Exactly. Everybody's old, you know. <laughs> Oh, Joe Willie had a very, very successful golf outing yesterday. This, this will be a good transition back into Brooklyn and baseball. Um, I, I did find some information out about the the Brooklyn football Dodgers. It looks like there were at, by the end of the '40s there were uh, another there was another franchise called the Brooklyn Tigers, which was the same Brooklyn the the same uh, franchise, but they eventually merged. Uh, the two teams eventually merged with the New York Football Lank, uh, Yankees. Excuse me. And uh, apparently it eventually got somehow, according to Wikipedia, it had something to do with the creation of the Indianapolis Colts or the Baltimore Colts. The Baltimore really. Colts. But, is, but it, no, I, I was just going to say I, I don't I don't want to get too involved into how they got to that. But but go ahead real quick and then we'll uh, No, no, we'll I just wanted on. to tell you there's, what's the interesting part there is that the Yankees – became the New York Highlanders in 1903. They were originally the Baltimore Orioles, and they mm-hmm. were franchised. So, again, there was a connection. There's always there's always that connection. Oh, there's all, yeah, and especially, uh, you know, uh, Babe Ruth that grew oh, okay. up on, on the side of Camden Yards. Oh, I've been there. It's, it's wonderful. wonderful. Now, before we go, we have to talk about Jackie Robinson, and, and we'll certainly get to the movie in a, in a second. But tell me about uh, the impact he had on, on your rooting, not, not just your, uh, your, your fandom, but also uh, as a person. Oh, and Jackie was, uh, he was my first uh, hero. Uh, 
um, as a matter of fact, uh, when I was in uh, uh, school, uh, I used to uh, draw pictures of uh, people, with, and I would color them in. And my mother went up for open school night, uh, and the art teacher said, I, I don't know, you know, he's good, he behaves himself, but why does he always draw dark people? So uh, my mother said, because he, it's probably because he likes Jackie Robinson. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it was a difficult time. I remember an interesting thing about Jackie. I was going to a ball game and got there a little early. They were playing the Giants. And uh, Jackie uh, was a little older then, and uh, he had gray hair, a little gray hair. And he comes limping, and I, I wouldn't go near him. They, 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 kids didn't bother them for autographs in those days like they do today. And he, he I was afraid of him, to be honest with you. And he... Um, he was wearing an overcoat. I oh, really? No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, disregard her. Keep, keep going. Okay. So um, he was limping. So he, the game starts. He gets a single or he walked. I don't recall. Next thing I know, he's still in second. He could hardly walk. He was limping into the ballpark. And, uh, you know, he was just. Uh, he was my hero. He really was. I, I, uh, uh, that game. Tell me about. Uh, uh, tell me about what the game was like uh, uh, after you saw him limping. Oh, it was a great game. I mean, the the, the Dodgers beat the uh, the Giants. It was. I think it was 1954. It was the year the Giants actually won the pennant without the knock. The Dodgers, I don't think, had a very good team that year, and uh, they. they uh, it wasn't a great year. It was the year the Giants beat the uh, Cleveland Indians four games to, uh, to none in the World And they Series. finished they finished second with a 92-62 record in 1954. Certainly nothing to bark at, but obviously not a pennant winning year. But the next year was our great year. Mm-hmm. We won the World Series. It was like heaven. I mean, I it was unbelievable. Well, really, really quickly before we get. Before we get to some 1955 talk, tell me about Jackie and what you remember about him from that game where you saw him limping outside. Oh, he played a great game. He was playing, I think at that time, he might have been either left field or third base. I don't recall. And uh, I don't remember much about the game after that. I just thought it was so funny that he was, I'm telling you, he was. I, I thought he needed a cane. The first and, time he got up, though, he stole second base, right? Yeah, he stole second base. But, you know, he just didn't steal like they steal today. You know, they they take a lead and they fly. He danced mm-hmm. off the base to make the pitches crazy. He used to dance off first base, and he would wiggle and, and do all Oh, he was great. That's, that's what was so lovely about Reyes. Everybody always talked about how, uh, you know, you hadn't uh, – people reminded about Jackie Robinson with the way Reyes would, would uh, tantalize. Uh, people as a met, and, and you're seeing a little bit of that with Eric Young Jr. right now. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a really big fan of of what he's doing with the Mets right now. No, I agree with you, but nothing like Jackie. Hmm. Of course, I'm old and think that, but you know, no, Jackie danced. He actually danced at first base, <laughs> and he would he would challenge the pitcher to throw to first base. And you know, the bases are so different today. Those bases used to be. Uh, spiked into the ground. They were bags. They used to call it the first base bag, the second base bag, third base bag. They're not bags anymore. They just that's why they, when they slide into them now, there's no give. 
and they and they hurt their ankles, the ball mm-hmm. players, or they get uh, all kinds of quad injuries, and uh, we didn't have that. And I also they, think they're they're probably working out too much. Uh, they they might be too tight, or, or their muscles might uh, need a little bit more time to rest before getting uh, getting into some of the the adrenaline uh, might, moments that they do. You might be right. I mean, you know, I remember, uh, like, uh, the pitches, there was only a three-man rotation. And in between, they would be relief pitches. There was one game I remember when I, I think it was in 1951 or two. It was, an on the, it was a road game. And uh, they didn't always televise the road games. And uh, Don Newcomb pitched the first game. And they didn't have a pitcher for the second game. And I read in the paper, I, mean, I was a kid, but I read it. Uh, he volunteered and he pitched about seven innings of the second game. I mean, <laughs> you don't hear that. I mean, come on, these guys—they got a hundred pitches. They come out of the game. Ridiculous, ridiculous. Why they hurt? They get hurt because they. You're right. They 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 have too many muscles. Uh, they never did any weights. They wouldn't allow them to do it. Yeah, anything. there was there was no oblique back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. Those guys smoked. They did everything. There was no drugs. I mean, yeah. If you, if you remember in 1961, or, or the the movie uh, the movie 61, Billy Crystal's 61. But uh, um, I think uh, Roger Maris was smoking the entire movie. Yeah, uh, Gil Hodges uh, smoked. Uh, Davy Johnson, I think, when he was the manager of the Mets, used to smoke. Speaking of Gil Hodges, you told me that he had a great knuckleball. That's what they said. Uh, you know, he had a heart attack down in Houston uh, in 1968, and he was pitching batting practice, and he had a great knuckleball. But you want to talk about uh, Gil Hodges. Gil Hodges, when he was in the minor leagues, played shortstop, came to the Dodgers uh, as a third baseman, played third base for two games, went into the Navy, won the Navy cross, and when he came out after the Second World War, he was a Marine. Uh, when he came out, of the, uh, they decided to make him a catcher, so they sent him to the minor leagues to become a catcher, and uh, he did become a catcher. But they signed a young, uh, not so young, but a, a ball player right out of the Negro leagues by the name of Roy Campanella, and Campy could catch. Campy was great. So the, when Hodges came back, you know, from the minors, they had they had to find a position for him because he could hit. He was a home run hitter, and they made him a, a first baseman, and he was a great first baseman. He, You know, you could rave about uh, Keith Hernandez, but Hodges was a fantastic. He would get off. Before the ball came, he he wouldn't stretch until the ball came so that he can go left, right, or center, whatever he had to do. Today they stretch before the ball comes, so if they throw it a little bit off, an error because they can't they go off the base to, to get the ball but he didn't stretch until the last minute he was great and I'll tell you another little thing that nobody ever mentions Bobby Thompson wouldn't you would have never heard of Bobby Thompson the hitter before Thompson I think it was Whitey Lockman hit a ball that just out of the reach of Hodges he stretched but Hodges was a righty if Hodges had been a left-handed uh, fielder his glove would have been on his right hand. He would have got the ball, and Bobby Thompson probably never would have got a chance to hit. So, but he did. You, you don't see too much of that. You never hear anything like that. But Hodges well, that, is great. Yeah, Hodges was... belongs in the Hall of Fame. I don't know. I won't go to the Hall of Fame because Hodges is not there. I don't understand mm. why. When he left, when he retired 
from the Mets to become the manager of the Senators, he had 370 home runs, one more home run than than Ralph Kiner. And he, he was the most by a right-handed hitter in the National League history. Of course, it's been passed so many times since then. But at the time, it was, it was, he was the, it was the guy. He had 14 Grand Slam home runs. He, uh, that was the, the record at the time. And, and it was a different times. So it was you didn't hit home runs like they did in the in the nineties. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> kind of sad that he's not. Yeah, it's, it's very and sad. And he's a gentleman, and he can yeah. play every position. And, plus, and what he did for the Mets as well. I mean, by by now, the fact that the Veterans Committee hasn't voted him in, you know, forget about forget about the the writers, the uh, um, the the whole logic behind who and what to vote for. When it comes to the the, the uh, baseball hall of fame, uh, has been skewed and is skewed, and and the uh, you know I I thought it was it was certain the last time with Tom uh, with uh, Tommy Lasorda on the on there that Gil Hodges would get in and um, you know maybe he'll be again on this uh, this upcoming one but it certainly no I um, don't think so because uh, really Siva tried Siva tried to get him in Siva right. loved him. Siva loved him. He says he was. Siva says that that's why the Mets won in '69, and I believe it. I yeah. just knew every rule, and if he, he, he got thrown out of one ball game, I think, as a Mets manager. But I mean, I don't know if you if you hear um, um, more, you know, other championship teams talk about the manager of uh, of being the biggest difference maker, like the 1969 Mets talk about Gil Hodges. Yeah, I mean, I just said in spring training, he said, they asked him how many games the Mets were going to win. They never had a winning season. And he said, at least 85. <laughs> at least 85? What are you kidding? And hey, they made, they, 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 they uh, missed the 90 loss mark for the first time in 1968. So he certainly had some reasons to be confident. And, you know, uh, com- right. uh, especially if you're grading on a curve, obviously, if you look at all those, those, those Mets seasons uh, uh, being – you know, the pe- people were people were were talking about uh, how much um, uh, when, when when they went from 112 losses to 100. Uh, I'm sorry, 120 losses to 112. People were like, it's it's that's it's eight games. It's great. <laughs> of course, of course. And there were always more Mets fans than Yankee fans in the city. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I just read this morning. I never knew this that the Mets actually outdoors on the radio. They just watched WFAN. The Mets. Yeah, but uh, they actually called the Yankees. So, and that's uh, you know only on the if they get a winning team, they will outdraw the Yankees also in attendance. They've done that for twelve straight years. They did that. Howie Rose said that in his book. Mm-hmm. Put it in. Well, book. we're running out of time, but before we go, I want to get to uh, some discrepancies you were talking about uh, in yeah, terms Jackie of Jackie Robinson. Uh, yeah, in terms of the movie Forty Two, uh, you know, I I really enjoyed it, and as you you oh, said, agree. you enjoyed it as well. Um, but but there's little details that you found. Uh, tell us about those. Yeah, uh, for instance, the scoreboard. There was no Schaefer scoreboard in 1947. It, uh, Schaefer didn't uh, come in the scoreboard until 1949, and uh, there were other advertisements that were not correct down the down the lines. And Jackie had had this one superstition. He never walked behind the pitcher, he, uh, the catcher. So if the if he came from first base and the catcher went to the pitching mound, he'd wait for the catcher to come back in, in, into position, and then he'd cross in front of him. 
If he came from the third base side, he didn't have a problem. They didn't show that, and he, oh, he they had his swing. But what he would always do is, in between swings, he would, um, you know, practice swings. He would wipe his right hand down his uh, his right leg, and uh, and, he, and that was his superstition. And they didn't show that. And I thought they should have showed. He struggled. I mean, it was like. It, it, it They made it look, you know, they did show some of his struggling, but the whole country at that time was not, and he changed it. I think he, he did as much for civil rights as anybody. And uh, and I told you he was my favorite, and then the Duke was my favorite. Right, we, we have uh, just about five minutes left, but, we, uh, you know, we can't actually get to the five-minute mark. Tell me about Duke Snyder and some of your favorite memories of him. Oh, the Duke, uh, in 1952, my brother, I have an older brother, took me to uh, the seventh game of the World Series. And uh, the Duke, they were, and we sat in the bleachers. I still have the ticket stub, and I got this Gore card, which you couldn't order through the mail in those days. You had to go to the game. And uh, there were guys, with Duke for mayor, you know, all kinds of signs up in there. Yeah, and there, there, and that, there were no signs in those days, but the day, that day they were. And uh, Duke for mayor, you know, Duke is the greatest. And uh, the Duke comes up, and I loved him. He came up in the seventh inning. The bases are loaded, one out. And uh, he pops up to second base. He had had four home runs, which was a record at the time. He did a two World Series. He did that in 52 and 55. And now he pops up. Here's the chance that the Dodgers were losing. I mean, I think the score was 3-2 to two or something like that, 4-2. to two. Then Jackie Robinson comes up. And this one you've seen, I'm sure. In the, if you, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. Uh, and Robinson hits this little pop behind the pitcher's mound, and Billy Martin comes running in and grabs it off his shoe tops. Yep. If he doesn't grab it, the Dodgers get two runs that would have went on and won the World Series that year. And that was, you know, that was unbelievable. I met the Duke uh, 1987. He was signing autographs. He got in trouble for that, of course. But, it, you know, it could happen. He didn't. He forgot to pay taxes on it. But anyway, uh, I met him, and, and I had uh, my son Stephen with me. And... Uh, I I said, I can't believe I'm meeting you. After all these years, I said, I told him I used to bat right-handed like he batted left. He had a most fluid swing. He was so graceful. I knew I knew in my heart that Willie and Mickey were better, but he was handsomer. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I told him that, and he now got some, hysterical uh, laughing. Somebody, somebody on here did uh, did one say, it. like, I like his face. I don't, I don't know exactly uh, what I can explain about it, but I like his face. He, he, you know, he's, he was a Hollywood boy. He, he uh, certainly had that um, that Hollywood smile. He did, but and you know what? He he didn't come from that background. His father worked in a uh, tire factory or something. Or, so yeah, he did, not, did, did not come. And from he and you know who who his high school coach? He got a scholarship for football, but didn't take it. You know who his high school coach was? Pete Rozelle's father. Just think about that. And he had, Pete Rozelle was his friend. I think mm-hmm. they went to school together. So in California, so. Yeah, so, give, give anyway, me context. I'm actually blanking on Pete Rozelle. Pete Rozelle was the president, the uh, commissioner of the National Football League. Ah, okay. For so many years, for, he built it. 
he really did most of the building. Anyway, with the TV contracts. And uh, uh, so the Duke, was, I was taking pictures, and he was charging. You know, people, would be, they would pay. He said, don't charge this, these people to me. So yeah. I got these pictures with the Duke, and he signed a book, a 1952 Dodger yearbook. And uh, he said, oh, you, you know, and I told him. He was announcing at that time for the uh, Montreal Expos. Oh, that, that's so we're, we're going to have to take announcer in the business. I'm exactly. Sure. Well, we're going to have to take a look at some of those pictures at some point. And, and Alan, I, I thank you so much for coming on and giving us some Brooklyn insight. And obviously, there's so many other details to talk about, and we'll certainly have you on again. Give my best oh, to your children. I haven't seen them in ages. Okay, we'll, we'll do that. We'll get together. Absolutely appreciate Thanks. it, Alan. Thank I, you I, very much. I, re- I really enjoyed myself. Oh, oh, yeah, it's great. It's always a good time on the Bedford & Sullivan podcast. That's our show, everybody. Take care. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.